<laughs> well, good morning to you. It's good to be with you. And uh, yes, we had a great time yesterday up in uh, Norwich. And it's great to, to be with so many people there. We were really blessed by the ministry of Sandy Miller. Um, you know, uh, he was there at uh, Holy Trinity, Trinity Brompton all those years ago. And uh, very gracious and lovely man of God. And we were thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly blessed. Uh, they also did us well with food and all sorts of supplies, didn't they? It was great, yes. Uh, go back again. Um, yeah, um, yeah. a little bit of, um, about Gateway, where we're at. Um, we're at the challenge where uh, part of my responsibilities at Gateway is actually overseeing the practical aspects on Sunday morning. And uh, that's got to be a bit of a challenge when you look around and try to squeeze people in and keep health and safety in mind as well. And uh, we've done a few tweaks and we've tried to move a few chairs around and so on. And well, we kind of reached the point where we thought <laughs> we can't carry on this much longer. You know, either God wants us to stay as we are or we need to do something else. And we were convinced that God didn't want us to stay as we were, but he's about growing his church. And uh, therefore, what do we do? What's the next step? So we've been endeavoring to hear God on that one. And uh, we believe that he wants us to go to two meetings uh, on a Sunday which provides, again, even more challenges, um, all sorts of things you've got to work through. So as elders, we've been talking, praying, discussing, sharing with different ones. But one of the big particular challenges is how you do children's work on Sunday. You have no idea whether they all turn up at the first one or whether they turn up at the second one or whether you get a good lot at the first one or a few at the second one. And, and so there's, it provides all sorts of challenges. But hey, you know, when, uh, when Jesus is about growing his church, they're, they're good challenges, aren't they? And it, it's good to have that kind of challenge. And so we're, we're now sort of, we've got a plan in place, and I, I think we're going to move to two services at the beginning of uh, March. So we're now sort of, we've been working with the children's workers to help them understand, to be able to process it through. We've been working with different team leads. We suddenly realized we had to think a whole new way about doing church, doing team, uh, raising up others, uh, getting team leaders to own the ministry, whether it's refreshments, whether it's setting out chairs, don't just see it as something that's just got to be done. It's actually a ministry, you know. Um, own that ministry, uh, call your team up with regard to that ministry. You know, if you're putting chairs out, you can pray over chairs as you're putting them out. Yeah, uh, you know, if you're, if you're there at the back working with the PA, that's just as essential. There's a whole lot of stuff. Church is about team. You know, and uh, there are some teams, those of you who like a little bit of football, there are some teams that don't play together very well as a team. And, uh, you know, a good team... I see you're fighting with this. Am I? Yeah. You want to put it in a different position? Yeah, about like that somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, you know, church is about team. And uh, I read... Um, any Manchester United fans here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, even if you're not a Manchester United fan, you will probably, you will probably concur that Alex Ferguson's pro probably, probably been one of the most notable football managers that football here has ever known. And uh, I read something about him the other day. Someone had he'd been and done some, some, uh, some talks in I think it was Harvard in the States, and someone has worked on those talks and pulled some bits and pieces together. And one of the things that came out of it was that, as a manager, he was always looking three years ahead. He wasn't just looking at the team he'd got today, he was looking three years ahead. And uh, he was always planning for the future. And you, you just read this and you think, goodness, this is so like church, isn't it, really? You, you know, you've got to have that vision of where you want to be in three years' time. Otherwise, you're kind of stranded. You get to three years and think, oh, you know, what happened? But he was always working, even though he got very talented players, he was always working with a three-year vision. And I think that's an amazing thing and something we could learn from. So God is good, isn't he? It's great, great to see you here in, in this new building. And then, you know, a few, two or three years back, four years back probably, I was reading the book of Acts before we had the merger in Ashford. We, you know the church that I was leading, merged with, with Gateway. Um, I was reading the book of Acts and I was suddenly discovered, challenged by the fluidity of the church. The danger with church life is we can, we can set our norms, we can set our structures and so on. And, and uh, the danger is in that we can die. And uh, the nature of the church, church history I find absolutely fascinating. 
because you know suddenly it's like people get hungry for God all over again and they encounter him and that something new breaks out and things change and there are challenges with that and uh, we all like our comfort zones but God has a way of just prodding us doesn't he and pushing us and moving us out of our comfort zones and uh, if you really mean business with God you have to be prepared to grow personally and corporately you have to be prepared to have God challenge your comfort zone and, and move you on into to new areas of life. You can be comfortable perhaps with your, your little area of, of life and how you understand it and ministry. But God has his way of just challenging us, of calling us forward and calling us up into new things. People say, well, actually, I, I, you know, I, could, I could never prophesy. or I could never speak in tongues. I could never give an interpretation. Who said? You know, with God, all things are possible, aren't they? You know, but we can so often settle and we can camp where we're at and say, this is me, this is my little sphere. And uh, I, I like to think of it in this way. You know, we like to draw a circle around ourselves, say, this is me and this is what identifies me, you know, and forever I will remain here. But God has his way of just challenging us. And years ago I felt God challenged me to, to rub out the circle I'd drawn around myself that identified me as I understood me and rather to be open to the continual process of God making me who he wanted me to be. And that's, that's quite challenging. It's exciting as well. So praise God for, for all that he's doing. Let's turn to the book of James. And by the way, you can get the book in printed copy as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for those who are not Kindle readers or e-book readers who you know, who still like the real sort of, the real stuff, you know, that you can finger through, that you can scroll over and all the rest of it, you can still do it like that as well. Um, but uh, let's turn to the book of James and it, it's, it's, a, it's a book I studied a number of years ago and, and shared on and it, it had a profound impact upon me, partly because I'd always view, viewed James as a bit disjointed, uh, it, offering lots of wise sayings, but no real sort of, heart to it as it were and uh, then I, I read it and read it and studied it and I thought wow what, what, a, what a book and uh, so this morning we're looking at James chapter 1 and I'm going to read from verse uh, 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then if you go over to chapter 2, probably the most controversial passage in, in James. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If you notice, I've left out a word there that might be in your Bible, and I've left it out very deliberately. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You do, want, do, you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works 
when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Now, there's an awful lot in those two passages of Scripture. And uh, I'm going to attempt to draw out what I can, but let me just remind you of of the background to James's writing. You know, he's writing to believers, and that's something we need to hear when we read this second passage. He is writing to believers, to those who are saved. He constantly has his reference to brothers, and we can translate that out as brothers and sisters. So he's writing to them as as members of the same family of which he is, and that is the family of God. People who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who have been filled with the Spirit, and, and are part of this new body of Jew and Gentile being built together. So he's writing to those who have faith, those who really believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 2, he, he uses these words, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing to people who are believers, who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And that's an important point because there is no point in trying to live a Christian life without becoming a believer. Because it is hard work. It's, in fact, it's not only hard work, it's impossible work. And you might be here this morning and you, 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 you come to church and you're, if you like, you're, you're trying to be a Christian. You can't try and be a Christian. You have to be born again. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. You don't work your way into it. You're born into it, born from above. And it might be this morning that you don't know the new birth. You've been trying to be a Christian. And, and you're just finding it hard. You know that there's something there, but actually you're not there. And it's the most miserable place to be, to try and be a Christian, because you can't earn your way into God's presence. You need God's grace in your life. You need Him to save you. And uh, so that's my first point, right up front there. You know, do you know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and Lord? Have you got that assurance in your own heart and life of a born-again experience that you have passed from death to life, that you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been cleansed of of all the, the sin, the guilt, and everything there, that you've been made anew, that His Spirit is in you, and you're saying, God, you're my Father, Abba, Father. Do you have that this morning? You know, if you don't, you can have it before you go out. You can just believe right here, right now, before we go any further. You can just offer up a simple prayer in your own heart, in your own mind. Just say to God, God, I know I can't do it. I know I have sinned. I know I've messed up. I've fallen short of your glory. I've missed the mark. I I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve mercy and, and grace. God, I just, I just look to you this morning. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that Jesus came for me and he, he took my sin and he died on that cross for me. He paid the whole price. There's nothing more to do. I put my trust in him. It's, it's, you know, when you read some of the offers out there in the world, you look and you think, there must be some small print here somewhere that I'm missing. It's too good to be true, don't you? It's not the case with the gospel. This is as good as it gets. You believe and are saved. Hallelujah. And once you're saved, you can't lose it. And that's important when we look at chapter 2 as well. You're saved and you're kept by the power of God. And that is a glorious truth. God saves you and he keeps you. So he's, he's writing to believers. But these believers are in trouble. Persecution has arisen and, and they are suffering. And in some way, they, 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 it's, things have not turned out quite as they expected them to be. And maybe that you're a Christian, you've been on the road for some years, and this might be your experience this morning, that actually things have not turned out quite as you expected them to be. And as a result, you were disappointed. As a result, you were, you were discouraged. As a result, you've kind of lost the, lost the vision. You've lost the, the goal, as it were. You're, you're just kind of like muddying your way along. Discouragement and disillusionment have set in. And as a result, these, these Christians there are on the back foot rather than on the front foot. They've developed something that's more of an inward spirituality. Their, their Christianity has become personal and very private to themselves. They're afraid of the world about them and what it thinks. 
And what is James's challenge to them? He doesn't for one moment suggest that they are not saved. And that's one thing that you need to hear when you read James. Some people think that James is, is con- counteracting or, or balancing out Paul. And, you know, you look at Paul and you, you hear the gospel. By grace are you saved through faith. You know, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And so you get this real sense in Paul that, you know, God has justified us without any effort or activity on our part. But then you come over to James and you think, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Now he's asking me to do something. Does that mean that I'm not actually saved? Does that mean that I've now got to to do something? Because that's a danger when you hear this, be doers of the word. When you you look at this chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And faith without works is dead. What's, what's going on here? You know, and the trouble is, once you, once you get into faith and works and trying to work that one out, it's like, well, okay, is it 90% faith and 10% works? Well, hang on a minute. It could be 60% faith and 40% works. Or even worse, actually, it might be 20% faith and 80% works. Somebody tell me. Somebody help me. Do you know, in that kind of Christianity, there is no assurance. Absolutely none. And I want to assure you this morning that we are justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Hallelujah. Glorious gospel. Wonderful, wonderful truth. And so when we we look at James, we mustn't think of him being pitted against Paul. Actually, James wrote before Paul anyway. (laughs) So that throws things out a little bit. And not only that, all Scripture is God-breathed. And, and these men, they didn't just sit down and think, oh, you know, I just feel like writing a letter today. I know what, I, I just, you know, pen some words and send them off here and there. No, they, they were inspired of the Holy Spirit as they considered God's purposes, as they considered the flock and so on. These were not empty words. So when we, we, we look at Scripture, we need to, to weigh up Scripture. We need to check one Scripture with another. We need to balance it out and hear what God is saying. So what does James do? He, he's, he's writing to them and he, he challenges them to live saved lives. To live saved lives. Now, being saved is a big word. We often just think of being saved as, as just getting born again, if, if, you know, of hearing the gospel, of, of being forgiven of my sin, of, of being delivered from, from, from the, the powers of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son and having a home in heaven when I die. But I want to say to you that being saved is more than that. And that's one of the reasons where we, we need to, to look at Scripture carefully and we need to look at words carefully and how people use words. And so uh, James uses the word saved in a a slightly different way. In fact, it's much broader and bigger context to what Paul does. In fact, a context that we'll find very familiar in the Old Testament. In 812 usages of the various Hebrew words translated save or salvation in the Old Testament, only 58 or 7.1% actually refer to eternal salvation. You see, God isn't just interested in getting us saved and home in heaven he's interested in us living saved lives right now hence the title living the saved life and that's the, i believe the the powerful if you like unifying message of james that james is saying come on guys Come on, it's not just about believing, it's about acting on this word, it's about giving life to your faith. So if if you like, let's twist the titles, shall we? So we're talking about doers of the word. Let's let's make the when you hear that, you think, oh, you know, gotta do some stuff. I you know, do. It sounds like commands, it sounds like something hard. Actually, turn it around. Giving life to your faith. It's about giving life to your faith so that you have a a sense of growing day by day in faith in the Lord Jesus and it's practical outworking in your daily life. And that's the beautiful thing because when you read James, he he just touches on all sorts of -of matter-of-fact stuff, doesn't he? You know, he he talks about anger. He talks about different types of wisdom. I mean, he, he, I, James, just, I mean, when you read this, 
That's staggering stuff, doesn't he? You know, chapter 4, what causes quarrels and ang- what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is church. <laughs> you know? Isn't it this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's a very down-to-earth book, isn't it? Dealing with, with the stuff that goes on in here and here in our hearts and in our heads and, and how that knocks around in our relationships and what it means to be the community of God's people. You know, in chapter 5, he, he, you know, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, your, your riches have rotted and your, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will, eat, will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I mean, it's, this, is, this, is, this is down-to-earth language, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not up there, it's right down here at the level where we, 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 we know what he's talking about, these kinds of things. And that's why I, I love James, you know, just so down-to-earth. And uh, so here we are called to live, save lives. So praise God, I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven. But God wants me to live saved now. And Jesus is not just simply saving us in a moment and getting us to heaven. He is actually interested in saving us day by day. So you, you read here in, this, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 21. Here we are, verse, chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word. The but connects it with something that goes before it. And in verse 19, he said this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to, to anger. How quick are you to hear? How freely do you give, do you give your opinion? How slow are you to hear? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that word there is this Christian life. What it means to live a saved life. It doesn't mean these guys are not saved. It means actually, this is, the word actually refers to a whole of life. The whole of your being. The whole person. And that's, that's amazing. God isn't just interested in saving your spirit and getting that part of you to heaven. He wants to save your whole life now. And that impacts on your whole personality. And that's the amazing thing about this gospel. This wonderful, wonderful gospel. He says there that the anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we, we come to this thing here about righteousness. The problem for us, is, particularly as, as evangelicals, is we make righteousness a very personal thing. It's about me being right with God and me kind of living a, a holy kind of life. Almost a, a very personal uh, and uh, exclusive righteousness, if you like. But I would like to, that word comes from a much bigger Greek word and and in some Bibles, you'll find it translated as justice, which changes the dynamic completely. Because if you read it like that, the anger of man does not produce the justice of God or the corporate righteousness that God requires. So that means it's not just about me, it's about you, it's about us together. It's about the community of God's people, you know? So when you read, for example, in, in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, very often we read that as a personal thing. I've got to seek first the kingdom of God. That's my number one priority. And his righteousness, this, this personal thing for me. But actually, it's a bigger word and I much prefer to translate their justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice because justice is about us. It's about the world that we live in. And you've only got to read the Old Testament to understand something of God's great heart for all peoples and for justice to be manifest. So that deals with some very down-to-earth issues, doesn't it? Which is why James is very practical. So here we are, we're called, James is calling them to live kingdom lives. He's calling them to live not in conformity to the world that has been judged in Christ and is passing away, but that which is coming. Hallelujah. Did you know that? You are of the age that has come and is coming. Sometimes we can feel a little bit too much like the age that is passing. (laughs) But actually, we are the people of the future. Yeah? 
Hmm. Oh, yeah, hmm, might be, yeah. We are people of the future because we belong to that kingdom that has come and is coming. Hallelujah. And what a kingdom that is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. Faith isn't a substitute for for obedience, however orthodox it is. And we'll touch on this a little bit more as we go along. Orthodox faith without good works won't protect you from sin's deadly consequences or God's discipline. The Bible does talk about those who get into heaven, as it were, by the skin of their teeth. They're saved by God's matchless grace. But when they get there, they realize that there's so much more they could have done. You know? Rick Warren talks about life here and now as the the practice for eternity, for heaven. You know, it's the warm-up. It's the training session. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So James goes on to talk about those who hear and those who don't hear, and he contrasts them. So those who just simply hear, he says, they are deceived. They deceive themselves, not consciously, but they actually deceive themselves. They, they forget. They can look at the Word and, and then they forget all about it. And then the implication is that they don't get blessed. Because when we look at the other side of it, so we've got deceived, we've got forget, and we've got not blessed. And then on the other side, hearers and doers are those who are not deceived. They don't forget. And the result is blessing. It says there, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Did you know that God's desire has always been to bless humanity? When God created Adam and Eve, it says he blessed them. He said, go forth and multiply. And then we read of humanity's fall and how they lose a sense of the measure of the fullness of the blessing of God. And I love it when you step over into the New Testament because it's like you get Genesis all over again. What do you read in Ephesians chapter 1? That he has blessed us in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. God's desire to bless us. God desires to bless you far more than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) And we sit and we think, oh, I'm not good enough. And God says, I know. (laughs) It's never been about whether you're good enough. It's whether Jesus is good enough. And the answer to that one is uh, an amen. It's in him that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Wow. We were singing just a little bit earlier about the Trinity, that wonderful hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God made humanity to dwell within the circle of the Trinitarian relationship. At the heart of this universe... At the heart of the cosmos, there is a relationship. A relationship of wonderful love that has existed from all eternity to eternity, has no need of anyone or anything, entirely consistent and existent within itself, and that is God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of all creation, God made humanity to know him in a very intimate and wonderful way. At the fall, man decided to step outside of that circle and has been in trouble ever since. In Jesus Christ, and we'll be remembering this shortly at Christmas, won't we, as we run into the Christmas season, 
in Jesus Christ, God steps into our circle of fallen humanity, taking on flesh just like ours and lives here for us and dies here for us. And then he rises again. He ascends into heaven. And today there is a man in the glory. Don't hear that phrase very often these days, but today there is a man in the glory who is totally representative of us. And it says, doesn't it, Paul says, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. You know, last, uh, last weekend we were doing Word Plus and we were looking at Ephesians. And in Ephesians he talks about sitting in heavenly places. When you know where you're sitting, it's easier to move on to the next bit. Yeah? The walking and the standing in the evil day. But if you don't know where you're sitting, you'll have trouble moving on to the next bit. And this is part of the problem with, if, with James, if you like. If you don't know where you're sitting, you'll find it difficult to understand what he's saying when he talks about being doers of the word. We're not performing up to God. And I want to come to a, a big point here. Um, because I, th I think a major issue for us today is how seriously do we take the word? I'm going to say that again. How seriously do we take the word of God? And I want to give you a shocking statistic that I came across doing some research uh, three or four weeks ago. And it was given by Josh McDowell. And this is what he said in 1991... 51% of evangelical young adults said there is no truth apart from their own views. Did you, did you hear that? In 1991, 50% of evangelicals, so these would have been people who have been brought up in churches like ours, believing the word of God, 51% of evangelical young adults said that there is no truth apart from their own views. What do you think the statistic is today? Would you dare ha hazard a guess? 15? Sorry, 17? 70? Shall I shock you? The statistic today is 91%. That shows us that we have something to do when it comes to our youth and our young people because they're living in a world of pluralistic thinking. That's all right for you, it works for you. You can think like that, I can accept you as you are. But the fact that so many evangelical youth hold such a low view of scripture, I find tragic and disturbing. I watch the debates that go on over some of these aspects. I want to say right up front, if there's anything that em empties churches, it's lowering our attitude to the Word of God. Yeah? It is... Yeah. <laughs> Years ago, in the church we were in, it was the, and the part of the denomination that we were in, had part of its confession of faith in which we said this, we believe that the Bible... That is the Old and the New Testaments, excluding the Apocrypha, is the inspired word of God, the infallible, all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. You see, unless we have that, that understanding about Scripture, the whole business of doing won't hit us as it should. Because we will say it's an opinion, it's an idea. But when we begin to understand that this is God's authoritative word, and it is fully authoritative for both faith and practice, then we begin to take heed to it. Many years ago, I was, um, I, I was a single young man on the lookout for a young woman, you know? And, uh, you know, I was beginning probably to get a little bit desperate. <laughs> okay? And... In the place I worked, there was a, 
a nice young girl, and I got on well with her, but she wasn't a Christian. And in my heart, in my spirit, I didn't feel right. I began to feel miserable. My desire had been to, I want to do God's will. I want to, I want to, I want to do what's right, Lord. And I remember walking into a, a Christian bookshop one day and seeing one of David Wilkerson's little books, and it was just titled, Man Have I Got Problems. And I thought, that sounds like me, actually. I, I, I've got a few problems at the moment, you know. And I started reading through this little book, and as I'm reading through it, he just picks up on relationships, young people, relationships, and he picks up on not being unequally yoked. And it kind of hit me. And I, I, oh, wow. Now, at that moment in time, I could have been pluralistic in my thinking. I could have approached in all sorts of ways, but I... I've been brought up with a very real sense of the power of the Word of God, which I'm really thankful for. And I read that Word, and I thought, I know what it's saying. I can't argue with this. I can't work my way around it. So with that, I finished the relationship. It was some time before eventually Pam came on the scene, and that's another story. Uh, which is quite amazing in itself, you know. But, um, yeah, I won't go there because otherwise we'll be taking too long. But, you know, if you honour God, God will honour you. If you honour God, God will honour you. Yes, it might cost you something in the moment, but that cost will be absolutely worth it. Yeah? Spurgeon said this, he said, The Bible is God's Bible, and when I see it, I seem to hear a voice springing up from it saying, I am the book of God. Man, read me. I am God's writing. Open my leaf, for I was penned by God. Read it, for he is my author. Ah, that's good, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so here we are looking at being doers of the word. So we need to understand that this is God's inspired word, all of it from beginning to end. And it speaks to us. Uh, But I've run out of time here, I'm realizing. But here we are. James talks about the perfect law of liberty. Let me just put this in, because this is not the law of the Old Testament. I wonder if we can jump a couple of slides. I've put some mirrors up somewhere. We'll probably have to pass those. Can we jump a couple of slides? We might get there. No worries if we can't. So there we are. So he talks about looking into the perfect law of liberty, doesn't he? And, um, and he, he uses this illustration of a mirror. I bet you've all looked in a mirror this morning. Yeah? The ladies will have probably looked in a mirror longer than the men. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, can you remember what you look like? Maybe you don't want to remember what you look like, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it says it's, it's like looking in a mirror. You, you go to that mirror and you look at it and then you go away and then you forget. And it may be that, you know, for someone here, you, you go to the Bible and just read it. Oh. Yeah, I've done a bit, you know, okay, I'll go away into today. That is not going to do you any good at all. You know, and so he talks about you know, diligently looking into this word. And, you know, when you read the text here, it, it requires effort. It doesn't just happen. You have to apply your, your heart, your mind to it. And so looking into this word of God. And uh, I've put up here this image of the Statue of Liberty. And there's a reason for that. You see, because James is not referring to Old Testament law. He's not placing us under legalism. This is the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. And this statue here, when you see that Statue of Liberty, when people who were immigrants going into the United States saw that statue, they saw it as symbolizing liberty, a place of freedom. But if you notice, it is not freedom just to do what you want, because actually in the arm is a symbol of law, a new kind of law. And so in the Old Testament, there is a new kind of law, the law of the life of the Spirit, which is in Christ Jesus. 
You know, we're not without law as God's people, but we have that law which comes to us in a different way. This liberating law. And we live in a world where people want to be free, don't they? Everyone says, oh, I, I want to be free. I want to, I want to be free to do my own thing. The only person who is free to do his own thing is God. Yeah? God made Satan. Satan is not free to do his own thing. You know? He made, create, he made humanity. He didn't make us free to do what we want. He, we would either serve God or we would serve the devil. And one is, you know, one is bondage of a, of a secure kind, the other is bondage of freedom which is what Paul talks about again. But lovely, when you see, see the Statue of Liberty again, think of it with respect to what Jesus has done and this new kingdom that he is building. So here we are. We're looking at this, this word of God which, is, which blesses us and uh, we're blessed in its doing. I need to try and sort of tie this up if I can. What time do we finish, Steve? A few more minutes, right? Okay. Okay. Right. Okay, so as you read those words there, very, very, very practical. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. See that, see, hear that word, perseveres, being no hearer but a doer of the word who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Sometimes you just have to keep persevering and trusting God, believing and persevering, acting upon that word. If anyone thinks he's religious, doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained uh, from the word, world. And you see two things there. You know, the, the need to to care for those around us, to have your eyes opened to people you can reach out to and touch with, with the love and the grace of God. To, to live the kind of lives that we ought to be living and, and that comes up over and over again, over again in James in, in very, very practical ways. Living unstained from the world. I was watching a video clip the other day of a, of a particular person who's written a book that has been kind of recommended and I thought, oh, I'll go and look at this video. You know? And I sat there kind of like, I don't know what to make of this. You know, when the preacher's throwing the F word in, he's just saying, you know, and I, I'm thinking, I, where? You know? And this is what James is talking about. Actually, you guys, you're called to live differently. Come on. Live the right kind of life. We've already had it in our worship this morning. You know, the call to live holy lives, to be God's holy people. Yeah, we might be criticized for it, but part, that's part of being salt and light in the earth, isn't it? And so, as, we, as you move on there, just very quickly on chapter 2 then and verse 14 onwards. If you notice in that chapter, and, and let me just point out where it says in verse 14, can that faith save him? That is not there in the original. Can faith save him? In other words, what it means is, does that faith at that moment in time do him or her any good? Faith may be there, but if there is no corresponding action to it, it's not going to benefit the individuals concerned. It's going to be empty. But it is still a real faith. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. If you've, if you've, if you've got a body and it's dead, it's still a body. You know? And that's what you need to remember when you're reading this particular passage. Faith is there. Faith is there. But they're not giving life to their faith by acting upon it. You know, the beauty of responding to God is you get to hear God more. You get to enjoy God more. And uh, as Fred shared earlier on, you know, that scripture in John about, you know, those who love him do his commands and he manifests himself to them. And it could be that you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm not sure that I, I, I know much of God. You know, I've known him, but today I'm not quite sure where he is. And it just might be that actually you've, you've stumbled in your walk somewhere. What you need to do is rekindle the vision of God first and his great love and for you 
Don't try and work your way back into, you, into God's presence. Just bathe yourself, if you like, in his presence. The fact that, like the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, the father's there saying, oh, come back home. You know, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment. Come back. And you just love him. And then you begin to listen to his word afresh and you begin to act on it. And you suddenly find God becoming real to you all over again. Wow, God was in that. Wow, did you see what he did there? And so on. So the importance of just being obedient to the word. So when we look at this scripture here, the, when you take, take young people on mission, you know, we, we've taken a few to Romania on mission in the past, and, and it's great because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they go with, uh, you know, some kind of trepidation, and sometimes the older ones do as well. But you, you, you go out and you step out in faith. You trust God to provide, and you go out and you, you begin to get involved in ministry. And do you know what? It's so exciting when they come back with stories to tell. And you see, what they have been doing is acting on their faith. Isn't it? They have been giving life to their faith and they come back and they say, wow, you know, we went to so-and-so and we did this and we did that and, and God did this and God did that and, you know, they're, they're up for it, aren't they? So when you read this, if, you know, as you go out into this week, you know, spend time with God. Spend time in His Word so you know that what He requires of you personally in, you know, living a different kind of life, this kingdom life. Spend time with with him so you begin to understand his great heart for those around you. Be open to his Holy Spirit just leading you to, to minister to somebody else. And you, you think, well, no, I, I couldn't do that. Yes, you can, because one with God is a majority. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who he is. That's the secret, isn't it? You know, as you go out into the world this week, you know, make it a practice to be a doer of the word. Somebody you can just show a bit of love to. Just give God's smile to. You know, just in some way to, to touch them with the, the grace of God. And I've run out of time. And <laughs> um, as you say, I'm loaded with James anyway. So <laughs> I just love the book. But you can see how practical this book is. Why don't we just stand? Just, just stand in his presence. Let me just ask you a question. Do you only get your Bible out on Sunday morning? Your attitude to the Word will be shown in what place it has in your life. Yeah, you might find it difficult to understand at times, but He gives His Spirit to make it alive and real to us. It might be that you just need to make the decision to be in the Word through this week. Just make that, that one decision. I, I, I come to church on a Sunday, but I, I'm, I'm not really giving myself to, to just being with God in His Word. And you just need to make a decision now to give yourself, not for a long time, not, not about reading lots of it, but sometimes I just read a few verses and meditate on them. Sometimes I read big chunks. Make that decision now to say, God, just lead me to perhaps a particular book or speak to someone if you don't know. Speak to someone and say, can, can you give me an idea where to start? I, I just need to get into the Word of God. The Word of God is meat for our souls. It's our food, food from heaven. And there's lots of lovely delicacies there. And it says when you get into that and you begin to act on it, you get more revelation. But you've got to persevere. So make that decision to be in the Word. The next thing to do is when it challenges you, pray, God, help me to put this into practice. Help me to respond to this Word. However difficult I might, uh, might it might feel to me, However, I might want to justify myself, and we're good at that. That's how we deceive ourselves. But make the decision to be obedient unto the Word of God. Could be some very practical ways where you get convicted of your anger and you need to go and say sorry to somebody.
in order to fulfill the righteousness of God, the corporate righteousness of God. It's, where it's, it's so, so practical. Might be you just need to make a decision to, you know lots of stuff already, and you just need to say, God, I need to step out. Would you give me the strength to be a doer of the word? Help me to act upon your word tomorrow. Take it one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. And again, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, I just want to commend him to you this morning. Don't go out here without him. Come and speak to one of the, the elders. I'd be happy to speak to you. But you need him. You can't try and live a Christian life. You need to be saved and know the power of God in you. could be you've drawn a circle around yourself this morning and you've, you've said, this is me. And I want to say to you, God says, rub the circle out. Allow me to keep growing you. Yes, it will be challenging at times, but hey, I love you. <laughs> and that's why I don't want a circle around you. I want, I want you to allow me to keep developing you. So Father, we... We just say thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you bless it to every life here? Holy Spirit, would you help us to be doers of the word as we go out into another week? God, may we shine as lights in the darkness that's around us. May we be salt and light in the earth. Lord, Oh, yes, Lord. We need you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. And send us forth in your name. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Really rich with meat for us to chew on now. Because um, there was someone mind telling the kids' workers that we finished... They don't always have an eye on the clock out there and they get a bit lost in what they're doing. If someone would mind, thank you, Ivan, just let them know we're done. Oh, Adrian's going, fight you for it. Brilliant. There's a reason why our time in our small groups during the week isn't called the Word section. We now call it the Life Application section because it's more than just reading and studying the Word. We can be good students and still not put it into practice. It's about life application. If you're not a part of a small group, please speak to us. Get involved, get stuck in.